When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, this is Raoul Pal, the CEO and co-founder of Real Vision, and welcome to my podcast. Every week, I'm lucky enough to speak to tons of smart and innovative people in the financial game. I get so much insight from these conversations, and that's why I wanted to start this podcast, so I can share that knowledge with you. I hope you learn from the discussions, and you can always find more in-depth content at realvision.com. Enjoy the show. So I'm looking forward to this because... Dan and I get to talk macro, which is one of the things we love, and crypto, which is the other thing we love. And we have these conversations periodically, and it's always great to catch up. Dan, let's talk first about the macro setup that we are today and how it's affected crypto. Because I think a lot of people thought that crypto and macro were different things, and they've actually merged into something similar. Talk through a bit about that. Yeah, I think the point I would make is that, you know, crypto is this multi-decade, very secular transformation that's happening. And then it's going to have very small cyclical correlations with risk assets, right? And it's kind of like, you know, any disruptive thing like Apple or Amazon stock. You know, there's short periods of time where it's correlated with S&P 500 or whatever risk metric you want to use. But over the last 20 years, it's done its own thing. And that's what I think will happen with blockchain is, you know, over the next you know, 10 years or whatever, it's going to do its own thing based on its own fundamentals. Over very short periods of time, it'll be connected to the macro situation. Yeah, because to me, it's, it's a network ado- adoption model. That's what's prevalent in space, which is why it's exponential in nature. But there's periods of time when liquidity gets taken away. And a lot of people didn't realize that liquidity is going to affect all assets. So talk people through a little bit about what liquidity is and how it affects assets, because you've seen this in macro markets forever. Yeah, and so with... Um, huge amounts of money being printed, it really gave an impetus to anything that was fixed quantity like Bitcoin or blockchain. Uh, with the Fed stopping that, um, it's not going to have that extra like afterburner that's pushing uh, crypto like it was the first two years of this pandemic. But again, the secular story is still there. And I think people are going to realize that if rates are rising, uh, it makes investing a lot of things like bonds and equities difficult. Uh, but there are asset classes like blockchain that are not uh, in any way directly connected to interest rates, uh, so they can trade on their own. And that, that's my strong view, is that no matter what happens in the normal macro markets, blockchain can trade under its own fundamentals. So where do you think we are in this decoupling process right now? Because th- th- this is one of the things you've written extensively about. You and I talked about it on Real Vision. You're sensing there's a decoupling. Are we there? So historically, the decoupling happened much quicker than it's happening now. It typically happened after about two months. Um, I think crypto's hit the lows. I think June is the lows. Uh, And then a really important point to stress is, although we're all used to using Bitcoin kind of as a proxy for our industry, uh, and Bitcoin really hasn't done much since uh, the June lows, you know, a lot of things are up a ton. You know, Ethereum's up 60% since the lows. You know, near curve, you know, all these things are really rallying. So it's, it's important to remember that, you know, blockchain is a lot of different things, venture tokens, uh, and not just, you know, one blockchain. 
Do you think that's a structural shift that's taking place where Bitcoin is now not the leader? Is that a sign of times to come because of the less use cases? You know, it has one use case that's very clear to people. But how, how do you think of that and Bitcoin's dominance overall and its relative performance? Yeah, no, I think it is a good point that um, obviously there's a time it was the only blockchain, so it was 100% of the industry. Uh, and then as more and more interesting use cases come out, um, you know, I think Bitcoin dominance or its share of the overall market is in a long-term secular decline while it's going up 10x, right? Like, I think Bitcoin's going to go up a ton. It's just other things I think would, would go up more. And so, you know, it's kind of like um, in the tech space, you know, 20 years ago, Microsoft was kind of the whole industry. Um, and since then, it's gone up 10x, which is amazing. It would, you know, great return. But other things, Apple, Google, Facebook, whatever, have gone up even more. And so I think that's my analog for the blockchain space. Before we get into Ethereum and the merge, the other thing that's been really interesting is the rise of DeFi, it, you know, post the CeFi crash. I think that's something that, that's been really interesting. We've kind of battle-tested DeFi, and it survived really well. CeFi got blown up. Talk through how you see that playing out and what that means for the DeFi space overall. Yeah, I think that's a really important narrative that the... Um the press and, and, you know, there's a lot of haters out there for blockchain wanted to spin the issues in, you know, May and June as DeFi blowing up or DeFi, you know, doing poorly. Um, but the reality is DeFi worked great, right? Uh, you know, most of the protocols function perfectly 24-7 just executing agreements, right? Code, uh, you know, can't be bullshit, you know? <laughs> uh, so all the code just executed what we all agreed to. And it really is centralized finance that, that struggled. And, and I'll admit, I was surprised how much leverage was in our system uh, in the crypto space. I didn't know uh, how much uh, leverage and illiquidity some of these centralized finance companies were taking. Um, so they, they struggled. Um, but that happens in these cycles, and you know the stronger firms survive and, and will do well. So on the DeFi side, I think it is a really good example of why I'm so bullish on this trade or this investment, is all of DeFi is only worth $20 billion today. And traditional finance is worth $3 trillion, you know? And so I, I wouldn't bet all my life savings that DeFi is going to work or be great or whatever. But when you have that kind of leverage, it's less than 1% of the value of traditional finance. Um, that I think it is really, really asymmetric trade. And one of the things we learned with the rest of the internet is you not only replicate what was pre-existing, like email didn't just replicate snail mail. It created all kinds of ways to communicate that we didn't have before that. And so DeFi might do things that we don't even have in traditional finance yet. So it seems pretty clear to me that at these levels, blockchain is, you know, one of the most compelling trades I've ever seen. I also think that this ETH proof-of-stake yield is going to be revolutionary for the space. Because talking about DeFi, I suddenly think that we end up with this benchmark yield. Because if we think the world you and I grew up in, everything was treasuries plus, LIBOR plus, right? That's how you looked at risk. Mm -hmm. We don't have that, and we didn't have it when CeFi blew up. We didn't know what risk was risk. And now we've got this benchmark rate. And it feels like we're going to see the next wave of DeFi come because of this. How are you thinking through all that? Oh, I agree. I think the merge is, is really big for our industry. And, you know, uh, ETH prices were just kind of drifting as we were waiting for, you know, when the merge would, would finally come because it's been talked about for so long. But once the foundation set the date, that's when, you know, uh, Ethereum prices started to rally. 
and you know, you, you could imagine people are, are still, you know, not 100% confident. But once we get through this, uh, I think that's going to start a huge rally again, you know. Um, so I think it is really important for industry. And obviously, there's some risks that uh, something goes wrong. But as long as we get through this, you know, I think it's, we're on to the next cycle. Yeah, and I just think that, that institutions love yield. And once you start establishing ways of valuing yields, you're going to bring a lot of other players. Because, you know, one of the reasons people didn't adopt gold, even though the industry fought for years to get it adopted, is like the pension fund said, well, it doesn't help our, the yield that we need. And now we've got a Web3 asset, a digital asset that has a yield that's of significant size. I think it's super interesting. It is. And, you know, proof of stake is the way corporate governance works in every other security, right? One share, one vote. And so I think institutions will be able to get their head around, you know, a proof of stake consensus model pretty quickly. Any risks you see in this merge? So we got, so there's, there's this point where not everybody agrees with us. We both think crypto's bottomed. I think the business cycle's pretty clear. We're going into recession and I kind of think the rate situation changes. But a lot of people don't think this, so they're really nervous. What risk would you have to say you've used wrong? You know, not just price going to new lows, but what would make you change your mind to think, actually, you know, we've got another leg lower? Yeah, so obviously if the merge doesn't go through flawlessly, that would be bad. That would be very bad. Uh, and then I think the biggest kind of existential risk that, that I worry about is still regulation. Um, you know, when, when we started looking at crypto many years ago, there, were, there was a long list of risks, you know, a, you know, a lot of things that could have gone wrong. And most of them have been taken care of. You know, there's great custodians now. Um, you know, the code's been working for 13 years, all that. You know, so most of the risks are gone. The only one that's still really concerning uh, is the regulatory uh, bit, and, and in particular in the United States, where there isn't enough regulatory clarity. So, um, you know, it's either forcing companies and projects to go offshore, which is unfortunate, or it's um, hampering innovation because people are afraid of, you know, negative consequences. The nice thing is that they we're only down to one big risk anymore. There's yeah, I was, I was just thinking through when you're saying that. You've been in this for a very long time. You were one of the first people um, really to see this at scale and build a business around it, which was amazing. And back then it was all risk and this potential. And you've, you've gone through, as you said, almost all of the risks left. But it still feels that normally when you get to the end of the risk, you know, with all of the quantifiable risks, the returns go down. But that doesn't feel like that's the point where we are. It feels like the returns still lay ahead of us. Oh, I would just say that, you know, this is such a big thing. Uh, it's going to take decades to happen. And so we still really are pretty early in it. And, you know, often people say, you know, it took the internet 20 years to happen. No, it took 20 years just to get to the browser, right? And then it took another 30 years, you know, to get to where we are today. So, you know, the internet's 50 years old, blockchain's 13 years old. So we're still really early. And so, yeah, theoretically, you know, there will come a time where, you know, the average IRR of our industry is going to decay down. But I, I think we still are, are very early. And there's still just a, such a small number of people that are engaged in this, you know, maybe 200 million, 300 million people, something like that. There's 3 billion people with a smartphone, right? And I, I think it's pretty inevitable. Almost everybody on earth with a smartphone is going to use blockchain in 10 or 20 years. I'm not saying it's going to happen now. Um, and I was just on CNBC and I followed up a, 
uh, U.S. congressman that had just the most reactionary negative view of Bitcoin. And the, the, uh, the interviewer asked, did I, did I, had I caught you know, the previous comments? And you know, what did I think about it? I was like, it makes me wildly bullish. Like if you still have people that have such reactionary you know, views, it means there's still more people to convert, right? So we're still really early in this trade. Talk to me about the institutions and that adoption curve. You know, the first people in the space were the family offices and the high net worths. Then you're starting to see more and more institutions come in. What's the journey there and, and how far are we with that? There again, I think we're just at the tip of an iceberg. And it's an iceberg this industry's been talking about for 10 years. So, you know, uh, all, all credit to the fact it's been predicted for a long time. But it is actually starting to happen now. There's big uh, public pension plans that are very public about how they're investing in blockchain. Uh, most of the major endowments have blockchain investments now. And the way I think about it is, uh, you know, you and I used to trade together in the 90s. And, um, you know, we've been through commodities becoming an asset class, emerging markets becoming an asset class. It's obvious to me that uh, blockchain will be an asset class. And everybody's going to have a blockchain team, blockchain allocation. Um, and I think it's going to be some number like 800 basis points or something, you know, some number like that. And all the institutions that we have invested uh, with us or with, you know, our competitors in the space, they have, you know, maybe 50 basis points or at most maybe 2% of their assets in blockchain. So my kind of construct is we've done a lot of work evangelizing for our space over the last 10 years. And we've gotten some institutions, but not even all, to go from zero to one. You know, we got a no to become a yes, but it's still very, very small. And the trade for me is over the next 10 years, you know, it's going to go from 40 basis points to 800 basis points. And that's just a lot of a lot of buying to happen. Yeah, my view is there's that, which is the buying side. And then there's the retail adoption side as we build out use cases for the masses. And those two things, I mean, is how you get to the three billion number. And I don't know, you know my guess is this is a, it will end up being a $200 trillion asset class, you know, which is in line with the size of other asset classes. And the adoption is fast. Yeah, it's happening. You know, there's a lot of good use cases, like especially cross-border remittance. That's such an easy one to get your head around. The average fee is 8% for remittance. And, you know, for us in finance, that's just a number. But like for the migrant, it's a month's wages that they're paying their remittance company. Uh, and so you already have 10% of all Mexico, U.S. to Mexico remittance going over Bitcoin. That's great news. It doesn't sell newspapers, so they don't publish stuff like that because they like to publish bad stuff. Uh, and there's, you know, 2 million people using Bitso now, you know. Um, you know, so there's a lot of traction, you know, bubbling up. But again, we're going to billions in, in the next 10 years. So moving outside of the main tokens, what are you interested in? What's got your focus and your team's focus? Yeah, so we've been very focused on DeFi the last few years. You know, it's, it's uh, building a parallel financial system. Um, Gaming's coming online now. You know, we have a couple hundred million people using blockchains. So there's a lot of really cool uh, gaming projects. Um, there still are uh, a lot of opportunities in, in the scalability sector. We're invested in things like Arbitrum and Starkware that are helping, you know, the main blockchains uh, pump a lot more volume through. And then there's space for other uh, layer ones like Near that, you know, allow for, you know, much higher throughput. Um, and so there still is, a, a, you know, dozens of different use cases that, w that we're focused on. 
What happens to these layer twos when ETH starts sharding? Because that's something I'm trying to work out in my own head. Is that, is that a killer or do they just coexist? How does that all work? Well, I think we are going to need, you know, all these uh, scalability solutions. Most of them are multiplicative, so that if you're scaling the layer one and scaling multiple ways on the layer two, uh, it adds to scaling uh, in a multiplicative way. And I think the main thing we got to remember is, uh, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are doing 10 transactions per second now. Visa does 15,000 over Christmas. And if we're really right, everybody with a smartphone is going to be doing gaming, you know, NFTs, all these things. We, we have to get to hundreds of thousands or millions of transactions per second. So all those are additive, and, and I think they'll all be used. So what we're all hoping and waiting for is the macro environment to stop picking up in a way that gives us a tailwind. Right now, it feels like we're at the point where the macro environments stop being worse um, for you know, digital assets. What does that look like when... What are, we, what are we waiting for to start to see that nice tailwind that knocks in and brings that exponential trend back again? Yeah, I would, I, I'm actually rooting much more for, you know, people to focus on the fundamentals of blockchain, you know, all the metrics than I am for, you know, some kind of, you know, miracle to come, wait, <laughs> you know, washing back from the macro markets. We had a 42-year bull market in bonds and equities. Uh, so, it, you know, it might be longer than people hope. Uh, yeah, because your, your secret suspicion is that the, you think the bond market, the, the yields have now turned, the secular cycles change, right? That's your hunch. Yeah, I think we just kind of collectively have a failure of imagination on how high yields have to go. Um, you know, the, the, everyone's saying, oh, the Fed's going to cut 100 basis points next year. They might, and that'd be great, but I wouldn't bank. We're not banking our, our strategy on that. No, and if you play that through that maybe rates go higher, which is not, uh, the opposite view of you, but if it does go higher, I mean, it breaks the financial system, which is an accelerant for the adoption of this parallel financial system. Right? Because we've, we've got so much leverage that there's very few ways out. You either print your way out of it, inflate your way out of it, or break the entire system. And that's why I think we've all been super interested in this parallel system, right? Well, I do agree with you that I'm not sure how the traditional systems are going to get out of the box they're painted into. Uh, and that's why I think alternative asset classes, you know, like maybe gold or, or blockchain or even other commodities, are going to become much more popular while the markets try and figure out what do you do in a rising rate environment and what do you do, you know, with a ton of uncertainty out there. Uh, investing in something that historically has had very low correlation with risk assets, and I think going forward will re regain a very low correlation. One of the things you wrote about, uh, I've written about as well, is getting people to understand that volatility, this, the bigger cycles, are like the single most important time to deploy capital. The actual, the largest driver of returns is buying these sell-offs. Talk me through that, because you looked at these sell-offs, and every time it gets to a certain amount, it pretty much works, right? Yeah, human nature is so pro-cyclical. You know, everybody wants to buy when it's all-time new highs and the FOMO devil's whispering in your ear. But um, we've seen, we've, you know, our fund's been around for 10 years, and we've seen we have massive inflows near the top, and in times like this, everyone's, you know, backing off. But, you know, obviously, buy low, sell high is a good strategy. And so, you know, if people have the 
financial or emotional resources to invest now, this is probably the best time. And we, we saw that in our, our venture funds. Uh, we, were just, we had just raised our venture fund three at the end of 2017. There was the same crypto winner that we're uh, in right now. And you know all of the traditional VC firms left the space, the, the generalist firms. And so it was just the blockchain specialists uh, that were doing it. So amazing opportunities, amazing uh, valuations, very little competition. And those are by far our best IRRs investing in 2018, uh, 2019. So. I, I think that's probably happening here that, you know, all the big kind of growth uh, firms that were very active in blockchain six months ago have left the space. And so there's only a handful of people investing now. And I think, you know, the investments we're making right now are probably going to be some of our best. You know, you should go back through all of your client inflows and have a look when they came, periods of big inflows, slow inflows. Uh, you will prove to everybody that everybody's doing the wrong thing because they always come in at the high. And it's just, if people would, you know, I kind of try and beg people to do this, is just realize that in an exponential trend, every time it hits this kind of two standard deviation oversold of this log channel, it's a gift, because it kind of never gets there again. Yeah, we've, we've only spent 3% of the last 10 years as cheap relative to the long-term trend as we are today. So, you know, doesn't guarantee it's gonna go up tomorrow, but it's, a, it's one of the best times to get engaged. Dan, sadly, I knew 20 minutes is never enough. We have to kind of whiz through the macro world and everything going on. But thank you very much for your insights as ever. Thanks, Rob. Hi, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed listening, I've got a free membership waiting for you. If you want to understand the future of everything, then understanding digital assets is the key. We're not ever going back to a pre-crypto world. Blockchain technology is transforming literally everything from communities to healthcare to real estate to, well, everything. That's why in 2020, we launched Real Vision Crypto, the world's premier cryptocurrency and digital assets video channel. Right now, Real Vision Crypto is helping more than 300,000 members around the world understand the biggest wealth creation opportunities in a generation and maybe of all time. And even better, Real Vision Crypto is completely free. All you need to do is input your email address and you get full access to all of the videos and the incredible emails too. Please visit realvisioncrypto.com, that's realvisioncrypto.com, and start learning about this incredible world.